Friends, please keep John chapter 3 open. We're going to be looking at that quite closely tonight. Over the past couple of weeks, we've been asking big questions, thinking about the truths of God and what might be faith blockers in people's life. So we've asked questions like, um, can God and science coexist? Uh, is there a such thing as right or wrong? Can we trust the Bible? Uh, if you are new tonight or visiting and you'd love to hear answers to those questions, there are some great talks on our church website. I encourage you to go check them out. But tonight, we are looking at the personal question. That is, do you believe? It's the personal question because it's the question that we're afraid to ask other people. The people who we love and we care about uh, this is a very confronting question, but it's also an important question because the answer to this question determines where you spend eternity. So do you believe in Jesus? How about I pray that God would help us tonight? Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you that you have not left us alone in the dark, but you've revealed yourself to us through your word and in your son. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. And we pray that you, by your spirit, would illuminate our hearts, give life to our eyes, help us to see who Jesus truly is, so that these would be words of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> A few years ago, around um, the time of the Sydney Olympics, the marketing team at Foster's Beer decided to cash in on the nationalistic pride that comes around with the Olympics. The marketing team got together and they put together an ad campaign called I Believe. Uh, it contained a number of iconic images and statements. Uh, it kind of formed this creed of what it means to believe, to be Australian. What do Australians believe? And so I thought tonight we'd start by seeing how Australian you are. Do you believe these things? So here we go. I don't have a kangaroo for a pet. I don't wrestle with crocodiles. I don't wear cork hats. I fight wars but never start wars. I would rather make peace. See, at this point in the ad... An orchestra starts in the background building. I play football without a helmet. I like beetroot on my burger. I ride in the front seat of a taxi. And then the orchestra is at its crescendo. I believe the world is round. Down under is on top. I believe Australia is the best place on earth. And Australians brew the best beer on earth. But it makes you wonder, is this what Australians actually believe? Like, do you believe this? The funny thing is, do you know where they got this ad from? They stole it from New Zealand. Hilarious, right? But when you think about it, Crowded House, Russell Crowe, Lamingtons, maybe it is Australian to steal from New Zealand? I don't know. But here's my point. If this is what Australians believe, then you would be believing the wrong thing. I mean, I used to play football with a helmet. Australia doesn't brew the best IPAs, and I take Ubers, not taxis. Now, you may call me Australian or a hipster or whatever, but if this is what you think Australians believe, you would be believing in the wrong thing. Why does this matter? Because tonight we meet a man called Nicodemus who believes in the wrong thing. And Jesus says to him, verse 3, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus loves God. He believes in God. He serves God. But he's in the darkness. 
because he doesn't believe in the right thing. He's, he's not a part of the kingdom of God, which is a warning to us. You see, even though we love God, believe in God and serve God, we are not immune from making this same mistake. We could think we believe God in God, but actually be still living in the darkness. And this beautiful thing that happens in John 3, did you notice it as we read it together? You see, Jesus doesn't judge Nicodemus. He doesn't condemn Nicodemus. He doesn't send him away. Jesus sees past the facade of Nicodemus and sees his heart. And then he tells him what he needs to hear. And so the question for our mate Nick is, will he hate the darkness or love the light of life? And that's the big question for us. Will we trust in the darkness of this world or believe in the light of life? That's what we're going to be looking at. Um, Also, just a warning, there are two questions tonight. There you go. More than you bargained for. Um, And I know that people like to be warned before this question, so just so you know. Okay. Um, uh, In our sermon series, we've been listening to others, learning from the Bible, and then linking it to our outside world. And so we're going to do that tonight for one last time. So listening to others. Today we're in John's Gospel, an eyewitness account of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. In John chapter 1, Jesus is baptised. In John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. In John chapter 3, we meet Nicodemus. Have a look at chapter 3 verse 1 with me. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. Don't think minister and priest. No, think like bishop and university lecturer in the Torah. He's highly intelligent. He's deeply devout. He's very religious, very moral, He was one of Israel's teachers. And he comes to Jesus how? Not in the light, but in the darkness. Not because he's afraid of others, but I think maybe Johnny's trying to tell us something. Remember last week when we looked at the light and the darkness? When light is the truth about God and darkness is unbelief and ignorance towards God? Isn't it fascinating that Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the darkness. My question is, what does spiritual darkness look like for Nicodemus? And that's your first question, okay? I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Turn to the person next to you and ask them, what does spiritual darkness look like for Nicodemus? Go. Okay. That's your 60 seconds. I want to see if I can get two responses. So two people need to be brave enough to call out what either they said or the person next to them said, okay? So we're going to go for this side of the room for the first one. Someone yell something out. What does spiritual darkness look like for Nicodemus? He doesn't know the the Lord. He doesn't know Jesus very well. Yep, that's, that's pretty good. Okay, this side of the room. He's fearful. Yeah. 
He's not fully embracing Jesus, is he? I wonder if sometimes when we read the Bible, we have these preset categories of religion and culture, yeah? So you think about the old Sunday school drama. When a Pharisee comes on, what are you supposed to do? Boo! And when Jesus comes on, yay! But Nicodemus is inquisitive. He's curious. He comes to Jesus because he wants to find answers, but he's afraid, What does Nicodemus actually know about Jesus? Verse 2, For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Uh, Chapter 2 and chapter 3 in in John's Gospel kind of hold together as a bit of a unit. It's an unhelpful chapter division there. Um, At the end of chapter 2, there are two groups of people. Those, the disciples who trust in the word of Jesus and the crowd who trusts in the signs of Jesus and them alone. Where does Nicodemus fit? He trusts in the signs alone. He hasn't got the full picture of who Jesus is. He's still living in the darkness. For Nicodemus, this could be because he is a Jewish man. You know, he's one of Israel's elite. Israel, the nation who were chosen by God. It could be because he's a Pharisee a well-respected religious man full of power and influence. Or it simply could be his own um, religious deeds. The things that he has done, he thinks he has impressed God. Whatever it is, whatever Nicodemus believes, he's in the darkness. His belief is more like a blind leap in the dark. Have you heard that before? That's what some people think that faith actually is, a blind leap in the dark. So they say that belief and faith, there's nothing to do with evidence or or eyewitness testimonies or truth. It's actually just what you look down inside of yourself and find. That faith comes from a feeling or a personality or the family that you were raised in or even your culture. Interestingly, The Bible says that faith is actually completely different. This is what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. What do we hope for? We hope for the things that God has promised us. And the proof of this is the testimony of Scripture, the eyewitness accounts, which means faith, that is biblical faith, is trusting in the things that God has promised based on God's word. Or you could put it like this, faith is taking God at his word. This means biblical faith or biblical belief is not a blind leap in the dark, that faith is a leap out of the darkness into the light of Jesus. That is what true faith is. And Jesus is going to take Nicodemus on that journey tonight. It's quite amazing. But there's something that needs to be overcome. Have a look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Truly I tell you, um, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In John's gospel, seeing is believing. Uh, John uses them as synonyms. So Nicodemus needs to be born again to believe. Now this really confuses Nicodemus. He goes on this wild tangent about being born from his mother's womb, which is a bit icky. Um, If you notice that there's a footnote in verse 3, and down the bottom of the page it says, or from above. 
So while Nicodemus thinks that Jesus is speaking about physical birth, Jesus, sorry, Nicodemus thinks physical birth, Jesus is actually talking about birth from above, spiritual birth that comes from God. And so Jesus clarifies himself. Verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, he knows the Old Testament. He's memorized it. It's like the back of his hand. And so Jesus, when he starts talking about water and spirit, he's actually reminding Nicodemus of a promise that God gives his people in Ezekiel 36. God says this, um, uh, sorry, um, an incredible promise. Here, God makes a promise to his people while they're in exile. He promises to rescue them by bringing them back to Israel and inwardly transforming their hearts. He will sprinkle their hearts clean, like water, and he will give them a new heart with his spirit so that he can establish his rule in their life. So when you think kingdom, don't think clouds, um, you know, a bunnings in the sky, angels and harps, but the rule of God. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter the kingdom, then it's nothing about what you're doing right now. God needs to do something in you. And just so we're clear, born again is not about water baptism. It's, it's not about John's baptism. And it's definitely not a second blessing that you get after becoming a Christian. This is an inward renewal that comes from above so that Nicodemus can see and believe. You see, what is true of physical birth is also true of spiritual birth. This is Calvin, my eldest. Uh, he's 10 years old now. This is when he was one hour old. He's looking pretty clean for a newborn. Um, <clears throat> think back to the day when you were born. Trust me, you were there. You might not remember it, but you were there. You did nothing to come into this world. You exerted no force. You made no contribution. There was nothing about your intellect or your abilities or your personality that helped. You just popped out. Now, mothers will tell you that there's more to it than that. And let me assure you, as having three children <clears throat> who was there in the room, um, uh, there is more to that. But let's not go into Nicodemus' ter territory, right? Let's just keep it there. Um, my point is this. While I can do nothing to be physically born into this world, there is nothing I can do spiritually to be born as well. It's the work of God alone. Being born from above is a gift from God that he gives us so we may believe. So friends, this should fill our hearts with joy and gratitude towards God, that he has worked a miracle in our hearts so that we might believe in him. And it should drive us to our knees in prayer, praying for our siblings that we invite to youth group that keep saying no to us, praying for our family members who are lost in the darkness, praying for our friends and work colleagues who do not know Jesus, that God would illuminate their mind and regenerate their heart so they may take the leap out of darkness into God's marvellous light and believe. Okay, so second question. What does Jesus want Nicodemus to actually do? 
So follow the logic. If you've been born from above, it's the work of God. So does Nicodemus not have to do anything? I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Turn to the person next to you. What does Jesus want Nicodemus to do? Go. Okay, that's your 60 seconds. Gave you too long. Um, so what does Nicodemus, Jesus want Nicodemus to do? Like, does Jesus want Nicodemus to take a Bible and go to the top of a mountain and, and meditate and try and kind of find God? Does Jesus want Nicodemus to keep doing religious rituals and rites uh, so that he can maybe kind of sum up some sort of thing inside of him? Does Jesus want him to continue these um, religious rituals thinking that they might somehow bring him closer to God? No. Jesus wants him to do two things, to listen and to look, to listen and to look. Have a look at verse 11. Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you did not believe, how will, I, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So, what, we've already seen that belief is an active trust in God and taking God at his word. And what has Nicodemus done? Well, he's seen these miracles, remember? Verse 2, he's seen the signposts, but he trusts in these signs alone. He's still in the darkness, which means he needs to listen to the testimony of Jesus. Remember when we said before that biblical faith is based on testimony? that it's based on the promises of God, Nicodemus needs to stop and listen to Jesus and take him at his word. Why can he trust what Jesus has to say? It's a funny argument, but have a, look at, uh, have a closer look at verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Why should we trust Jesus when he speaks about heavenly things to us? Why should we trust Jesus when he speaks about God and being born from above? Why should we take Jesus at his word? Because he has come from heaven and he will go back up to heaven. He's the guy on the inside, yeah? He's the only one who's qualified to speak about heavenly realities because he has dwelt in heaven before his incarnation. He's the guy on the inside that knows the truth and he's the only one who can tell us what it means to be born from above and what we need to do to be saved. So Nicodemus needs to listen to the testimony of Jesus and he needs to look as well. Have a look at verse 14 with me. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Again, remember Nicodemus, an expert in the Old Testament. Um, Jesus reminds him of this terrifying story in Numbers 21, where God judges his people with fiery snakes. It's a wild story. Go home and read it. But while <laughs> there are fiery snakes on God's people, God shows his people mercy. He tells Moses 
to get the image of a snake and put it on a brass pole and then rise up, sorry, and then raise the brass pole in the air. So when the Israelites listen to the word of God, when they look to the one who's raised up, then God will give them life. And this is God's way of teaching the Israelites that he is the source of life and that they have a responsibility. That if they listen to God's word, if they look to the one he lifts up, then they will be saved. And now you're starting to understand what Jesus is talking about. Jesus uses this story to talk to Nicodemus about his responsibility, what he needs to do. When the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is lifted, sorry, he needs to listen to the words of Jesus. And when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, is lifted up on the cross, Nicodemus needs to look to him and believe, and God will grant him eternal life. Jesus teaches Nicodemus that he needs to be born from above, but also says, Nick, you've got your own things you need to take care of as well. You actually need to pay attention to what I say. You need to look to me and believe so that you may have eternal life. That only works because it's based on a promise from God. Have a look at verse 16, one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Don't you love it when you get a new translation and you have to read, learn the most famous verse of the Bible? <clears throat> Some would say that God is a tyrant or vindictive. And Jesus says, if that's your picture of God, you've got the wrong picture because God is a God of love, a God of justice. And we know this because he sent his son to die for us. This is how John describes the love of God in his first letter. He says, love consists of this, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As a Pharisee, Nicodemus has been taught his whole life that it's about how much you love God that gets you into heaven. So the more you love God through knowledge, the more you love God through devotion, the more, love, the more you love God through rituals and religion, the more that you impress God and he will let you into his kingdom. But John says, no, that because of sin, we can never love God enough to earn his forgiveness. So what has God done? God has sent his son Jesus into the world, the perfect sinless son of God, who died on the cross and faced the punishment for all the sin that we had done. So that when we ask God to forgive us of our sin, God can freely forgive us of our sin because the punishment has already been taken. And so herein lies the promise of John 3.16. It is not that we are welcomed into God's kingdom because God thinks we're lovely, but because God has displayed his love in sending his son to the cross. And it's in his death and trusting in that death, listening to his word and looking to the cross and trusting in that, believing in it, that God will grant us eternal life. That's not because of the strength of our faith. Let's be clear. It's not because we can drum up some sort of faith that kind of earns us salvation. Our faith and belief is not a work to themselves. It's based on the object of our faith. 
Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. Imagine you're on a high cliff and you lose your footing and you begin to fall. Just beside you, you fall, there's a branch sticking out and you grab it. It's your only hope. Your intellectual certainty doesn't support you on this branch. The purity of life you live doesn't support you on this branch. The religious deeds and the way that you serve doesn't support you on this branch. The only thing that supports you and saves you is the strength of this branch. Even if your mind is filled with doubts and your heart is burdened down, the strength of the branch is the thing that saves you. Tim Keller actually says the exact same thing. He says it's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to a weak faith in a strong branch. That is, the power of belief is not based on the feelings inside of me. The power of faith and belief is not based on the strength of my faith that I might drum up. The effectiveness of faith and belief is not based on anything that I do at all. It's based on the completed work of Jesus' death on the cross, which, friends, brings us great comfort. Because if you know Jesus, you truly know God. If you listen to his word, if you look to the Son and trust in his name, through faith and repentance, you will be promised and given eternal life, a true relationship with God. So friends, can I ask you tonight, will you listen to the words of Jesus? Will you look to the Son on the cross and will you trust in him? Will you find eternal life? Uh, Just to finish with, I think one of the big questions this raises is, why don't more people believe? Like, if it's so good and so important and so obvious, then why don't more people believe? Why is belief so hard? Have a look at the end of chapter 3, verse 19. Sorry, at the end of our reading, John helps us to understand. Verse 19, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people have loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so so that his deeds may not be exposed. Remember in John's Gospel, light means truth. Darkness means uh, ignorance towards God or unbelief. Uh, We we saw that at the start of um, chapter 3 with Nicodemus. So why don't more people believe in Jesus? Friends, this is a hard and difficult word, but it's important for us to hear it. People don't trust Jesus because they love the darkness rather than loving the light. Because they love their evil deeds rather than the righteousness of God. Because we love sin more than we love Jesus. Our sinful human response is to run away from God and his light because we know we're rebels and we want to remain rebellious. We do it either because, verse 19, our pride. We love sin greater than we love Jesus. Or verse 20, we fear the shame of being exposed for not loving God with our whole heart. It's the pride or the fear of shame that stops us believing. So the greatest barrier to belief is not 
because people belong to the wrong race or the wrong culture. It's not a lack of evidence or eyewitness testimony. The greatest barrier to belief is our own hearts because we want to rule our own lives. You see, there are two types of people in this world. It's not puffer jackets versus hoodies. It's not peanuts versus Vegemite, peanut butter versus Vegemite. It's not even iPhone versus Android. Keep it down, Androids. Uh, It is those who stay in the darkness and those who find the light of life. Friends, can I ask tonight, will you turn from the darkness to trust the light of life? I mean, what does Nicodemus do? Did you figure that out as we read chapter 3? It's kind of a weird thing. I always have this question. At the end of chapter 3, what does Nicodemus do? You know that meme where Homer kind of just goes back into the hedge. Nicodemus just kind of goes back into the darkness. We don't really know what happens to Nicodemus. It's left open-ended. That is until chapter 7. If you go home tonight and read chapter 7, you'll get a glimpse that Nicodemus reappears. Amongst all of his Pharisee friends and teachers of the law, Nicodemus sticks up for Jesus. Living in the light. Has he, has he come to the light? We don't know. And then if you were to flick forward to John chapter 19, where's Nicodemus? He's helping Joseph bury Jesus. Now, we don't know for sure, but I take it that this means that the man who came to Jesus in the darkness finishes John's gospel in the light of life. He crosses over from darkness to life, from death to life. How do we do that? From what we've already looked at tonight. By listening to his word, by looking to his son and trusting in his name so that we may have eternal life. So friends, will you turn from the darkness tonight and trust in the light of life? Will you believe in the Son? Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you that you have not left us alone in the dark, but that you've revealed yourself to us through your word and by your Son. And so, Lord, we thank you for the powerful work of your Spirit, for the way that you illuminate our minds and regenerate our hearts But Lord, I pray that we would not take these things for granted. Cultivate in us ears that would listen to your son, Jesus. Create in us a desire to return day after day back to your cross. And Lord, bring us to faith, faith in your son, Jesus, so we may turn and be saved. And we pray that as we wait for your son to return, that we would treasure living in the light greater than living in the darkness not so that we may glorify ourselves, but bring glory to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.